Hello, hello, my friends. I am so happy to be chatting with you today. So a question that I get asked a lot is how do Jared and I balance our relationship? How do we deal with being husband and wife and caretaker and patient? So I decided that we would answer it together and answer a bunch of the questions that you have for us. We asked our friends and family what kind of things they wanted to know about us if they were kind of being nosy in a sense. And we got some really great questions and I can't wait to share them all with you. Hey friends, I'm Cassie and I'm a married Spoonie who lives the chronic illness life. Here each week, I'll challenge you to live intentionally and authentically, where every spoon you use has a purpose and every step you take matters. Welcome to Chronically Cultivating. All right, friends. Well, I'm here with Jared. Hey, everybody. And we are going to talk about this balancing act. And I think the first thing we should say is that there's no perfect answer. No, I mean, it depends week by week just how much of a balancing act it is, whether, you know, Cassie's body is struggling more one week versus a week that she's doing better. Um, But her body is definitely a lot of work, and it just depends weekly just how much work her body is. Yeah, and I think we've gotten to a place where we communicate really well about kind of like, how am I feeling? You pretty much check in with me in the mornings before you go to work. Whether if you bring me downstairs, you know, I'm pretty much doing okay. But if I tell you I have to stay in bed, that's kind of a sign already for you that the day is not going to go as planned. Yeah. Um, And it's all a matter of, you know, kind of what we did the day before as well. Um, And just knowing in advance how much spoons I feel like Cassie's probably going to have leading into the next day. Uh, so that gives me a heads up for what I think that I can be looking for. But you never know. She could have done nothing for one day and the next day still wake up feeling not so great. Or so dislocations it, happen. Yeah. So it's quite the balancing act. I wish that we could say that we've just got this perfect system and it just works great. And in so many ways, our system does work in how we communicate, but it's not perfect. That's kind of where it lies. We have times where we struggle communicating you know, communicating, I think, lovingly, because that's also part of this is that, you know, we are husband and wife, but we may disagree as caretaker and patient per se. Yeah. And there's times that I will see something in Cassie that doesn't look right. And then there are times that Cassie's not feeling right. And there are no signs for me to even know. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to figure out where to go for us. I mean, I do have to say, You've gotten pretty good. Like you'll like little things like you typically know when I'm about to pass out before I do and different like little things. Like I even remember my parents when they would stay with me when you would be working or whatnot and you would be like, okay, here are the signs. And they would just be like, we don't see what you're seeing. And it was just because you were like, I don't know how to explain it. I just, I know. Yeah. I think after just so many years of dealing with it, seeing you pass out so many times, there's just signs in your face and just in your body language that show you're kind of like fading out from reality. It's just, it's hard to see unless you've seen it a certain number of times to know exactly what to look for. And that is true. We've been doing this our whole relationship, which, you know, it's varied very differently throughout the years. But I think what's different in a lot of the marriage questions that you and I get asked, or not even marriage related, just relationship questions, um, a lot of them stem from the fact that other people 
got diagnosed or had issues after they had already been in a relationship where you walked into the relationship somewhat knowing what you were getting into. Yeah, I mean, we knew about the RSD as soon as I walked into the relationship and you and I worked on the touch therapy and we knew nothing about the EDS when the relationship had started. So I was there for every single step of that. Which helped and hurt because we had to do a lot of experimenting. Yeah. And figuring out, but it did help, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Back on to just kind of talking about how much uh, work Cassie's body is. It, It really, we... He joke. said in the most loving way possible. <laughs> yeah. We joke that it's a second full-time job for me because um, each week we have to do joint corrections. A couple times a week. A couple times a week. Typically every other day. Um, there's taping at least twice a week. Um, there's bringing her up and down stairs, and, which also requires bringing up and down stairs, whatever um, she is looking to use for the day. Bringing her pillow and water up and down stairs every time and... Um, just her journaling and Bibling, or Bible journaling, journaling stu- um, stuff, just getting all that up and downstairs and whatever else she's looking for. Like I said, taping once a week, at least making sure meds are taken care of um, and all that. It's just there's a lot that's a regular weekly thing. And then there's also with the added of potential relocations of joints and dealing with that and dealing with how to medicate that and um, well and then just also we do deal with a lot of blood sugar issues where I'll be doing totally fine and then I'm suddenly just down and out so that kind of always plays into everything yeah you know I definitely agree that you said there like a lot of the time as far as like medications and blood sugar management and all those kind of things I pretty much take care of myself throughout the day but there are also times when I can't yeah and you've had to just manage all of those things. I've always got to watch out for the port as well. Um, yep. You know, it's a couple hours every weekend to access that between deaccessing, showering, and then applying Emla cream and then reaccessing. There's always a couple hours in between our weekend that we have to plan on that. So there's a lot of hours put into every week to just manage Cassie's body. Yeah, and it just is what it is. I mean, we pretty much, we don't do anything unnecessary, but we do have to stay on top of all the regular things because when we don't, we find that I do struggle and then that throws us off in an entirely different capacity. So that just, I think, adds to everything. And I do think that it is important to note You've come a super, super, super long way just learning how to put my CGM in and my port all the two months or whatever it was that you trained to learn how to do that and you got over your fear of needles. Like all of those things, you know, I really view us taking care of my body as an act of worship, at least for me personally. And I think that's also like, you know, part of you taking care of me is honoring God. And I think you're doing that each week. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys all know, but I had a fear of needles before to the point that when Cassie and I were in the ED every single week. (laughs) I wasn't going to tell the story, but. (laughs) I couldn't even look at the needle because I get so shaky and jittery because of it. And we'd always joke of who was more stressed out about Cassie's IV, her actually getting the IV in or me looking at the needle. See, Um, I wasn't going to say it, but the first, because now I have to tell the story. The first time that we did an an ED trip alone, like without my parents coming also, um, I was about to get my IV put in 
and you were like, oh, hold your hand, but you were like white as a ghost and they were getting ready and you turned your body entirely around so I could just have your hand. And then when it finished, I remember the nurse being like, Jared, Jared, are, are you okay? Are you going to be okay? And like, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. And so you've come a really long way since then. Definitely was not a fan of needles, but... Still not. Still not, but <laughs> I've become more okay with them not going in my body. That's a perfect way of putting it. As much work as we put in, we also do get times where we aren't constantly going. Yeah, we've, there's, we've worked, there's quiet weeks. And we've tried to find a good balance of not only thinking about my spoons, but thinking about your energy level too. And if you know, you're working and appointments and other things, I think... Over the past year, we've gotten a lot better about how we schedule things. Yeah. And this is all on top of trying to keep our marriage alive and just not have all of our marriage just be about taking care of Cassie's body and me working. This is on, you know, building a relationship on top of that and spending time together and loving one another. And seeking really God through it. I know that we've lately been working really hard to have quiet time in the evenings where we aren't on our phones or anything and we're just in the word and it's hard to manage everything. Yeah. I think one of the biggest struggles we face in balancing everything is definitely between either you and I not being on the same page about a treatment or a plan and then me not asking for help, but then getting hurt, which actually causes more work yeah which took a lot of time but we've gotten a lot better about that um where there's times that i will tell cassie ahead of time when i feel like she's feeling something and uh, she's telling me she's fine and she can continue to do whatever she's doing i will make sure to point out to her that it's not going to be any easier if she dislocates something and that she needs to just let me help her before something does go more drastically wrong than she's already feeling. Um, and we've gotten a lot better, but it took a long time for us to get to the point where we could kind of figure out how to balance that struggle. Well, and that was more my pride, I think, than anything else of just going from being so independent to not. It took a long time, I think, for me to understand that it would be easier on you if I just asked for help rather than risk getting hurt because I want to be forcing do... help down your throat. That too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's also important to note that we do get help. Yeah. From friends and um, family, Cassie's siblings and Cassie's parents and grandparents, my, her grandparents and my family are always willing to help take care of Cassie so that I can get some time to take care of myself if I need rest. If, you know, Cassie and I stayed up late trying to figure out um, a relocation or how to manage that, and I've got work the next day, they'll always come out and stay with her so that I can get sleep for work. It's always just been a huge help for both of us is that we have those people we can reach out to who are willing to help and who know how to take care of Cassie. Maybe not as well as I do, but uh, they can take care of her and just fit whatever needs she's needing and know that if they need me for anything, I'm a call away. Yeah. And what's great is, you know, you relocated your job close to our home. So now you're 10 minutes away, which is so nice. Not even best friend Mar lives two houses down. And then during the day while you're at work, my grandmother's with me during the day. 
So we've kind of got a good system, but if you're struggling right now and figuring out caretaking and other things, I encourage you to keep going, ask for help. People are typically really willing to help if you give them the opportunity to once you know, you get past your own pride of wanting to do everything yourself. I think the other way that we balance well is like with exactly what you're saying, as far as our marriage, we don't just talk about medical stuff. Yeah, if we've got long car rides, we'll try and, you know, breeze over medical stuff, but we'll try to break up medical conversation by just having like conversation talking about each other's day. Or just listening to music and jamming out to music. Um, we just always try and just spread out the medical conversations because sometimes having a progressive illness is depressing to talk about for hours on end. So we try and um, separate that so that we don't get so far down about, you know, the illness. And that was something we really learned through our many, many car rides to the emergency room. <laughs> or that's not what I was going to say, but that's a good and we also did a lot of marriage counseling yes. before we got married with my therapist. And that was really helpful because I think she definitely helped us in the beginning learn how to really manage our conversations well and learn to the best of our abilities what would work for us so that we weren't constantly overwhelmed. We also, though, we don't avoid conversations. We're, yeah. we're very upfront with each other. If we know we need to have a conversation, we're going to have it. We're not going to avoid it. But we always try to keep things as upended as we can. So as I think about all these things, I want to answer the questions that we got from friends, family, and my lovely Instagram family. They had more so questions for you than me. But what would you say maybe like up to three lessons that you've learned about or while caring for me? Uh, number one lesson, and probably all caretakers feel this same lesson that you have to learn very fast, is patience. Because your spouse or whoever you're caretaking for um, is always, or often, I don't know that every single person struggling with an illness is like this, but for me, Cassie's pride is a strong thing that I have to be very patient with. And her independence taught her that she can figure out her way through whatever struggle she's going through and that's not always the case and it has taught me a lot of patience to deal with that also persistence is another lesson that i've had to learn uh, to persistently nag her when i know that she's not doing well or that she needs my help with something but i will say you do it in a very loving way it's it's not just sometimes not so but for the most part i would say it's done in a really loving way and I think you also recognize that I'm not just being stubborn typically to be stubborn it's because there's a lot of hurt there yeah and there's a very fine balance of persistence and patience you can't just push too much and hurt your spouse um, you've got to be careful with how much you push um, well the other thing I think too with that is that you typically will anticipate what I need before I need it, which eliminates me even asking for it. There are certain things that we both just know. And so there's certain things I think that I don't even have to ask anymore. And you've kind of eliminated that, I guess, hurdle in a sense of just asking. Yeah. Um, and I'd say the third lesson that I've learned is that sometimes I can't think about the situation as it is. I kind of have to in my own play or in my own brain downplay whatever's going on 
like with relocations, like I always joke that it's just like putting Lego pieces back together um, <laughs> or popping Lego pieces in or Lincoln logs or whatever you want to say. Um, because you, as a caretaker, you don't want to think, wow, I'm actually putting a bone, like I'm snapping a bone back into place. When you're thinking about it like that, it makes it harder to go out with the action or, you know, accessing the port. I don't think of, you know, I'm stabbing my wife in the chest. You got to think of, oh, I'm cutting this apple, say. I mean, as a caretaker, what I've learned is you have to be very conscious of what you're doing, but you also want to find a way to retrain your brain around what you're doing to make yourself feel more comfortable with what you're doing and not panic. And I think leading up to that, a question we got was, does it freak you out to relocate joints or did it like initially freak you out when you were learning? I kind of before anybody had even asked me or before I'd even really thought of it, the first time I went to relocate a joint, I was so panicked that I just wanted the joint to get back into place. And when it got in, I wasn't as scared as everybody else is to try and do it. There are people in our family that are petrified of it. Yeah. Um, And I mean, my first time, like I said, I was just so fearful for what pain Cassie was going to be in that I just put it back into place and didn't think about it. And ever since then, I've just kind of said to myself, it's just like, you know, it's just popping something back in place. It's just like putting a Lincoln log back in its spot. It's just something I've, I, the first time kind of freaked me out. And after that, I kind of knew how to handle it. And I think it is important to know for any caretakers that are listening that are in that place with someone with Ehlers-Danlos, uh, reach out to your EDS team um, we, between my ortho team and the EDS clinic, they've really, they, they would teach you what you need to know about each joint to put it back in place because, you know, they also recognized that we're an hour away from where they are. And they were like, you know, we don't want a joint dislocated for that long. We would rather you pop it back in and come into clinic the next day than leave it dislocated for an X amount of time to get to us to do it. Yeah. I'd say ortho originally kind of just taught me how to uh what to like how to stabilize while i relocate and Muldowney has um the eds clinic has taught me very well how to um just make sure that everything is back in place because sometimes you cassie might feel like um her shoulder slipped when it's her scapula that slipped um and um her Muldowney has taught me how to make sure that I know what has slipped and what's, you know, what's going in right and um, just how to make sure everything's together as you need it to be. Yeah. And that takes a lot of assessment because I think when something happens, I either know exactly what it is or I have no idea. And I'm just like, something in this general area is wrong. And then we have to just deal with it. Moving on to our next question. Has EDS positively affected our relationship in any way? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You go first. You go first. I think that it has allowed us to communicate on a deeper level. I guess if I were to say anything about it, positive, you know, we constantly know how we're each doing. And, you know, because I check in with him and he checks in with me. And honestly, it's taken time to get here. But yeah, I, w- I guess I would say if there's any positive thing, it would be our communication that has just greatly, I think, improved because we talk about tons of stuff that other couples never, ever talk about. 
Yeah, that actually is kind of a good transition into my thing that I've found it's positively affected us. Um, I find that, I mean, RSD, EDS, whatever chronic illness it is, dealing with it um, has blossomed our relationship in a way that a lot of people can't. Um, It helped us to figure out much faster than most people do whether or not we were, you know, God had intended us to be together or not. I feel kind of bad for people that don't deal with a chronic illness in their relationship because I I don't know. I see a lot of people posting that they're getting engaged and that they know their person so well and they've been through so much. And it just kind of makes me chuckle because us having the chronic illness between the two of us has drawn us much closer than most engaged couples are. And it's taught us how to balance each other and how to um, just deal with any, you know, just kind of teaches you that you can deal with whatever struggles come in your way when you already know what you can go through together. Yeah, 100%. Definitely forced us to talk. And it made us really evaluate what did we want in the long run? You know, were we in it for the long haul? Were we not? That was like a big question that got answered. I guess I actually really thought of one other thing would be that we learned how to love each other even when the other doesn't necessarily love each other back. You know, we've had times where one of us has, mainly me, when everything happened um, a couple years ago, we went through a phase where we, you know, we truly learned that love is a choice and it's not just a feeling. Uh, What is a task that we find hard that others find easy? (sighs) Um, If I had to say... What is a task that we find hard that others find easy? Going out to dinner. Yeah. Because one, we have to decide how many spoons I've got to look decent, (laughs) go out, actually eat food because we're always off and on with my body. And then heading home and then we're thinking about your energy of driving there, pulling the wheelchair out of the car or getting a handicap spot, getting the wheelchair out, me in the chair, like then dinner. Operating like, through the uh, oh, restaurant as well. Yep. And then of course we're always dealing with food allergies for me. And, and if Cassie has to go to the bathroom, how do we deal with that? Yeah. Because it's Not just a lot us. Of restaurants have um, single restrooms. Yeah. So I guess for me, that's what I would say. Going out to dinner is a task that we find Mine really hard. Mine is definitely uh, trying to clean a room. And I find that it's two completely different battles for the two of us. For Cassie, it's trying to manage her spoons and trying to figure out if she's well enough to help me clean a room, um, if she's well enough to do it on her own. Because a lot of times Cassie has ideas for cleaning a room that I don't have ideas for. She wants to enact on her ideas and sometimes she doesn't have the spoons to do it. So the battle for me is to figure out, does Cassie have an idea that she's going to be too stubborn to listen to me to and she's just going to do it anyway? Um, does she have the spoons to do it or do I need to sit her down and just take care of it for her? And this is where that persistence and patience comes in because I have to deal with trying to figure out how we can best clean our room when for most couples it just takes both of them working on it for like 10-15 minutes. And I will say yesterday I was cleaning up one of the rooms. You were um, just having your own time of self-care and just mentally taking a break 
or resting or whatever it was. And I, um, I was cleaning down here and you texted me and you were just like, Hey, when do you want to just watch our show and like take a break and that kind of thing. And whether it was intentional or it's just become habit for you, I think that was one of your ways of helping me slow down to just be like, let's evaluate how much you've done. Like, let's take a break and hang out. And of course, today I was like, man, I don't know why I'm feeling so crappy. And you were like, uh, yesterday. So it's just all a balance. Again, it all comes back, I feel like, to being a balance. Another question that we get asked specifically by family a lot is, what do we do when you get sick? And a lot of times, Cassie's family immediately knows when I'm starting to like really pick up on symptoms Um, and they will very quickly try to look at their schedule for the week and try and come out and help to take care of you so that I can get time to just catch up on extra rest and take care of myself. But a lot of the time, you know, in between them not being able to really take care of you, then becomes a battle of which one of us has more spoons at the moment and do I have the energy to help Cassie and still take care of myself or do I need Cassie to do some of the things for herself and expand some of her extra spoons that normally I wouldn't have her expand um, for doing simple tasks like, you know, making herself some food or whatever that I'll normally take care of. But when I'm sick, I don't want to take care of because I don't want to risk getting her sick as well. So there's a lot we have to put into trying to figure out how we're going to battle each situation as it presents ourselves um, when I get sick. We also kind of also have a system as well. Um, You immediately start taking like meds and those kind of things. Um, You wear a mask around me. If you're handling any of my food, meds, any of that, you typically will throw gloves on. We have even slept in separate bedrooms at times just to make sure that we don't cross-contaminate because when we haven't been careful... And the other thing to add in yeah. is I always wash my hands more than the average person washes their hands when they're sick just to make sure Cassie doesn't get sick. Yeah. Continue. But, yeah, it's it's just all the little things. And, I mean, I think we're really good about hand hygiene in general between hand sanitizer and washing your hands because of my port. Yeah. Um, but even before that, yeah, we're definitely a little bit intense about making sure that we are doing everything possible to – not contaminate one another in a sense. So that's kind of our go-to and it doesn't always work, but I would say more often than not, it does work for us. And I do want to point out, I don't make Jared do anything typically. It's just how our life is right now. Um, But I would like to think that I'm not super demanding. No, you again, back to her independence. She doesn't normally let me do anything. I kind of have to spring onto it before she can let herself do it. So like with, again, with cooking, I will make food before you get hungry. That way you don't go make yourself food and then waste your spoons on something that I could easily do. Yeah. How do we cope with the weight of EDS? Um, Do you want me to start? Yes. So... Something that actually annoys some of my doctors, but this is 100% true. When I'm talking about my body, I'll say we felt like XYZ was happening. When Jared is not in my body, he cannot feel 
X, Y, Z or whatever it is. And I constantly like doctors will sometimes give me like a little bit of a look like what? And I'm like, oh, I meant like me. I truly do talk about how we treat this as a we. It's very rarely an I because we're a team. You know, I think that's one of the biggest ways that we cope with it is that we cope with it together. We recognize that there are going to be times where I'm really, really upset about where my body is. And then there are also going to be times where you're upset with where my body is. And we both have to mutually know that we may grieve at different times. We may get frustrated at different times, little things. It's hard to know where things are at and just the projection of where my team feels I'm at right now. We definitely try not to go down the what if path as that's never really productive in any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, we do know what can happen. We know that there is a chance that how I am right now is the healthiest I'll be, but we don't know that. Modern medicine, all those things. I think that for me, if I were to say, how do we cope with it? It would be that we approach it as a we. And it's pretty rarely an I. Yeah. Another thing we do to cope with the weight of it is we try to, again, is try to distract from those deep thoughts of, you know, is this the best you're going to get? Is this, you know, all there really is to it? And we try to steer away from those paths. Once we kind of realize we're going down these paths, we try to think about other things. We try to use distraction methods. We try to watch a TV show if we're at home or, you know, listening to some music in the car or just discussing something all different together. Or if we're just looking to, you know, we've kind of worked on this is what's the next thing that is going on in our lives that we can look forward to and just work on that. Um, we always are trying to find something that we can use as a distraction method to avoid dealing with the weight of EDS. And I'll also say on that, you know, as much as we do distract and we, I guess, avoid sometimes going down that path, because if we go through that all the time and we're constantly talking about it, it's not going to be mentally healthy for either of us. But I will say we do recognize when we need to talk about it. And if something's going downhill, we'll have that discussion. But if signs aren't directly pointed at downhill in the immediate future, we try to avoid it. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, is that even though it takes a lot of work thinking about what you were saying on that next thing, we work hard to plan that next thing. So whether it's, I mean, we've gone to concerts or just other things, like we actively still try to have fun Mm -hmm. and that looks different every time and every year and season of life. I feel like our definition of fun or what we can do changes, but we still actively try to go out or even stay in, but enjoy each other's company and just be married, you know, try our best to let these things just be on the back burner Mm -hmm. and kind of focusing forward in our marriage. The last question we have is our number one piece of advice for other couples. And I want to hear yours to see if it's the same as mine. (laughs) Okay. Um, my number one piece of advice. Okay, well, actually, I have I have two. No, you only have one. No, I have two. Um, one, 
it is really helpful to let your caregiver know what you need before they sit down. You're just to rest. No, 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 no. So Cassie's adopted the nickname queen of bad timing because she constantly is asking me to get something for her the second I sit down. Yeah. So I, I will say that's a, that's a big piece of advice specifically to the person on the patient kind of side. But I guess I would say my number one piece of advice for other couples would just be to communicate and ding ding. That was mine. <laughs> don't be afraid to talk about hard stuff. Um Always don't be afraid to reach out to other couples too, because yes. no matter how much it feels like your situation is unique, somebody has some sort of understanding as to what you're going through. Um, so always try to communicate to other couples that you know who are going through the same stuff you are. And yeah. we're always available if anybody ever wants to reach out to us. And we don't have the perfect answer and our friends don't have the perfect answers either, but we're all just going through life together and you know, I think it's helpful that also as far as communicating with other couples, talk to other couples who aren't just your age. Talk to couples that have been together for years and years and years and take that advice and wisdom that they have because, you know, we haven't been married very long. But as far as what we know of marriage is that every season is very different. And that's something that we've learned from other couples So that's what I would say. Communicate about the hard things. Communicate about the good things. Just don't stop communicating because that's where you're letting Satan come in between you and your marriage and you're allowing your chronic illness to be a hindrance rather than, I hate to say the word blessing, but in a way, a blessing to your marriage. Yeah, I mean... In case you guys didn't get it, communications, number one for me too. It's kind of always been something I've, you know, gone to in life is communication is key, whether that's, you know, playing on a sports team, being in a relationship, living with family, communication never hurts anybody. It's always good to understand where each other is at. So just always make sure you're communicating, whether you're a couple that uh, has a chronic illness or you don't doesn't matter um, communication is number one piece of advice i would have for other couples it also helps to have a good tv show to talk about yeah that too <laughs> which speaking of that we were left at a cliffhanger so i'm kind of anticipating getting back to that but i'm so glad that we got the chance to talk to all of you and please feel free to message us questions or things just as we've been helped by so many people in the chronic illness community. We want to also be a help to others. I hope it kind of gave you a good look into our marriage and our life. We're here if you ever need anything. All right. See you guys next time. The Oregon college savings plan can help fund your child's dreams and ideas. But it's not just for college. It's also the trade school savings plan and the books and materials savings plan, even the room and board savings plan. With fewer educational expenses to think about, your kids can focus on what matters, their future. Start saving today to support your child's tomorrow. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com. As a gun owner, have you ever thought about the liability that would come with having to use your weapon in self-defense? Or the liability that would come with having one of your guns stolen or misused? 
Or perhaps you work in a profession like security or law enforcement that requires you to carry a gun. Regardless, it's well known that responsible gun owners and security professionals across the country have become targets of frivolous lawsuits. At X-Insurance, we provide custom firearm liability insurance to eliminate your exposure and to protect you from unscrupulous lawyers. And if lawsuits do arise, we aggressively fight them. We're the very best at what we do, and we've been doing it for more than 40 years. We offer same-day quotes and solutions, so call us today or have your insurance agent call us and we can work with them to fill any gaps in your existing policy. But call today and let's get that target off your back. For more information, visit xinsurance.com. That's xinsurance.com.